You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Thank you, Bishop Rob and ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my Lord. Hey, let's all stand up and give Bishop Robin a round of applause. That was weak, man. <laughs> uh, so grateful for these guys and grateful that he's one of those five in a hundred um, that are still with us. Amen. Um, and I just echo Robin's heart. There's a beautiful future. I think God's stirring and writing um, for the church and not just the specific church of queen city but just the world that we live in um and i think robin is here for a time like this so we love you guys and uh, isn't donna just the cutest thing in the world though she is so sweet <laughs> donna you got some fans back there fan club i'm going to pray for us and then dive into um a message this morning is kind of a year in review to see if you were paying attention this this year um, if you weren't, this will be new information. If you were, um, then this will be a little repetitive, but we will have a quiz on it. Uh, and if you fail, you have to find a new church. Let me pray. Father, um, God, we love you. We um, commit all of this time to you. Father, we just say that it's all about you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, that um, it is the measure that we can't be, Father. And so, um, God, as we just press forward, I pray that you would just call us into the space that you've anointed us for, uh, that you've redeemed us to, uh, and give us grace this morning to hear your word and hear your heart uh, in this place. And so we trust you. Uh, in Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. Amen. Um, let me read this passage, and then we'll kind of navigate um, through some thoughts. Romans eight fourteen through 17. Uh, most of us probably are familiar with this passage. It says, but for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Just for fun, please say heirs then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Here's what it means to have an, uh, an inheritance and to be heirs of God. What belongs to Jesus belongs to us. To be co-heirs with Christ means that what belongs to him belongs to us. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that you are Jesus, thank God. I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, he'll always be Jesus, and that's great. Um, but what belongs to Jesus belongs to us as the children of God and as co-heirs with Christ. Now, how many of you guys know that an inheritance isn't something that you get um, when you die? Otherwise, you wouldn't get it. Uh, but an, an inheritance is something that you get when someone else dies. Okay? Uh, one of the th- mistakes I think we make theologically is we punt our inheritance to an eternal someday, and we never possess our inheritance today. Amen? Now, I want to uh, make it bigger than just one or the other. There is a someday. There is an eternal scope to everything, um, and that's great. We're all going to live with Jesus. We're all going to be in the same house. You know, Jesus is going to make us macaroni and stuff like that. It's going to be awesome. Like, heaven will be great. Um, but the inheritance 
that belongs to Jesus that also belongs to us. Part of the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven means that what we are inheritors of needs to be operating and functioning on our life for not just the benefit of you, but the benefit of the world around you. Amen. This is something that we are called to. And Paul's writing and using this language. I'm going to read it again here in Galatians in just a moment. But what belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. Galatians 4. Let's read just a little bit more. 1 through 7. And I, I got up at like 4 this morning and I, I just read through most of the book of Galatians and it, it just wrecks me every time. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm not sure why, but I'm always drawn to it. Um, but this is one of the sections I wanted to draw out this morning. It's 1 through 7, Galatians 4. Uh, what I'm saying is this. That as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. And there's cultural context here I might elaborate on in a second. Although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Let me, let me pause here. Here's the gospel in a nutshell and the beauty of it. Um, this wouldn't have been unfamiliar language for them. There were slave markets. There was cultural uh, relevance to what Paul was addressing. Um, and there's context happening in the church at Galatia. But when he talks about slaves... It wouldn't have been uncommon for someone in that culture and day to go down to the slave market, buy a slave, to plow the fields and work and do all that kind of stuff. Kind of crazy, but it's what it is. What Jesus does is he comes to a world that has been enslaved. Jesus goes down to the market that is uh, the world that we live in. And he buys humanity at a price. But instead of putting us uh, to work in his field... He goes to the courthouse and gets adoption papers. Instead of making us slaves to a thing or someone who just works or someone who just performs, he says, hey, I want to adopt these people and make them my own. So that's the gospel in a nutshell that Jesus didn't redeem us so that we were slaves again, but he redeemed you and then adopted you. And now the thing that was a slave is now called a son. And because we are sons, we are co-heirs with Jesus. How awkward. And I... I'm sure none of us could probably relate to this culturally. But how awkward would it be to come from a slave mindset and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, be positioned in the posture of a son and have a father who uh, is kind of new to you (laughs) say, hey, everything that is mine is yours. I don't know about you, but this would be an awkward position to be in for a little bit. You know what's true for us? We don't always know how to do freedom. Right? And I want to unpack this a little bit. But we don't really know what freedom is. And freedom can be a very awkward thing to those who have never been free. Um, i I tell you a quick trait about my personality. I'm, I'm the worst gift receiver. Um, I like giving gifts and I like getting gifts. I just, I'm just an awkward person socially sometimes. So I don't know how to like receive a gift, right? Uh, I'm not a big crier, so I don't like usually cry. Um, Kara's looking at me. Uh, I'm trying to think what, 
how, how she would articulate this. Um, I'll tell you something like just God blessed our lives, I don't know, probably a decade ago. We were early, we were poor, planning a church, all that fun season of life. And this couple came up to us one day and said, hey, um, we felt like God spoke. Uh, and please hear me this morning. I'm not boasting in this, but it, it was a radical moment for us. Uh, they said, we felt like God spoke to us and we want to buy you a car. And I'm thinking, okay, like. And my mind's thinking, like, you know, grandma's car around the corner that's like 1500 bucks. You know, like, okay, cool, I'll ta- whatever, I'll take it. I'm humble. And these people went and wrote like a 20-something thousand dollar check, just picked a car off the lot and said, here you go. Uh, which is amazing, right? Especially when you're broke and don't know how you're going to survive the uh, rhythms of new ministry. Here's what was so weird to me, though. I didn't know what to say. They probably thought I didn't like it. They probably thought, this dude doesn't see what we're doing for him. (laughs) He doesn't appreciate what we're doing for him. I think I was just kind of in shock and not sure what to do. Uh, Because sometimes getting something that is so good, when you're not used to that, can be a very awkward thing. The Father comes through the scope of Jesus, buys humanity and says, hey, Everything that's mine is yours. I'm just going to buy you. You are my children. You're not my slaves. Here's, here's the, the challenge again with this. When all you've known is slavery, it is hard to adjust to freedom. Because slaves don't know how to be free. Okay, we'll unpack this a, a little bit in a moment. Let's keep reading. Um. Verse 5, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So here it is again, echoing what's going on in Romans. And just quick context, the church at Galatia has been infiltrated by those undermining Paul, good Jews who came in and they're trying to squeeze the law back in. They're trying to mix the gospel of grace and the power of Jesus with the observation of old ways and old things. And there's multiple layers going on here that Paul's addressing both culturally and also in the Jewish context. But uh, needless to say, he's correcting people and he's frustrated, right? Uh, you can even see the tension of Paul because he spent time establishing people in the gospel, letting them know who they are, telling them that they were bought at a, a price, knowing uh, what happened at the cross. He spent time cultivating this. He built uh, kind of the culture of church on this, and he comes back to find out that they've been infiltrated and are going back to selective law approach. And he's frustrated. Because they're not walking out who they are. They're trying to pay for who they are. Okay. Um, Can I tell you this? You are who you are, even if you don't know who you are. You are who you are. Right? Um, But there's a difference in being who you are. In truth. And becoming who you are in function. And I'm going to have to be very cautious this morning. Because I'm going to maybe trigger us just a little bit. And that's a good thing. Um, But how many guys like basketball? Anybody? 
Anybody a b-ball fan? Really quick, just to stir, stir some division. Uh, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Somebody yell out. Kareem. LeBron James. Gosh, of course the young guy said that, right? Okay. If you got Larry Bird, great option. Now here's the truth. It is Michael Jordan. Everyone else was wrong. Um, it's Michael Jordan. Okay. Um, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties, the nineties bulls were just legendary. So it was Michael Jordan. Um, now here's the truth though. Good example. Michael Jordan was always Michael Jordan, but then he became Michael Jordan. Does everybody know what I'm saying? It's something different. He was always Michael Jordan. He was small, he was teenage, he was all these things, but then one day he became what we know as Michael Jordan. Now, who he was didn't change. How he was drastically changed. How he was didn't just benefit him, it benefited all of us to sit back and watch and enjoy the things that he accomplished. But because someone like Michael Jordan believed so much in who they were, they practiced who they believed that they were, right? Um, here's the difference between a slave and an underage heir. Okay, because I, I think this is interesting. Let me read this passage one more time. Uh, what I'm saying, verse number one, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave. Now, obviously, their identity is different because one's a slave and one is a son. Right? One is going to be the heir. He even says, here's an heir who actually is going to own the whole estate, but they don't kind of own it yet. They're not functioning. It's theirs, but it's not yet theirs. Right? And in that space of time, they're functioning no different than a slave in the household. Um, here's what happens. I think sometimes when we are slaves, and I'll make it really practical this morning. And let's, let's simplify it down to just the most simple Christian term we can, which would be something like sin. A slave eats from the obvious side, um, but an underage heir eats from the deceptive side. Now let me tell you something. An underage heir in this context is literally an immature son. Inheritance and certain things didn't pass on until a son came of age and was even uh, proved to be worthy of what they were inheriting. In fact, just because you were blood by son doesn't mean that the father always technically uh, adopted you as his own uh, different uh, context for a different day. Um, but an underage heir was an immature son. Now, that's not a negative uh, thing I'm saying. It's just a time uh, context. But an underage heir was an immature son. The difference between a slave is that they eat from the obvious side and a immature son eats from the deceptive side. Here's what I mean. The slave side of our carnality goes for the sin stuff. An underage heir goes for the law stuff. See, Paul's coming in and the gospel's been uh, cultivated. They've started this way, but now they're going back to law. And he's actually telling them by doing that, you're going back under bondage. Right, And now here's what's happening. They're starting to use this as the fruit that they follow. Here's what's tricky about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't matter which side you're eating from. It's the same outcome. 
Whether you're eating from the obvious side of evil, we'd say, again, to simplify it, sin. What's obviously not the Lord. If I'm living from that place, then the byproduct is suffering, death, misery, those things. But what's deceptive is those who are, quote, the children of God, but don't fully know what that even looks like yet, nor have even stepped into that yet, and they're still eating from an effort of performance to get to him, because it leads to the exact same outcome as the slave side. In fact, Proverbs, I think it is, says there's a way that seems right to man, but it leads to death. You understand the tension of the Israelites and what Paul is dealing with is they are now in freedom under the grace of Jesus and they don't know how to be free. So they're trying to do things to justify how to get, quote, there. It's a weird tension to be there, but not, I don't even know how to articulate some of this this morning, but not really be there. To own the whole estate, yet not be able to write a check on it. It's a weird um, conundrum, might be the right word. It's a weird position to be in. And you see Paul navigating this so much in the early church, because here's what he does. He's constantly preaching, teaching, and unveiling where they are, who they are, positional statements. But then the thing that you see him do also constantly is challenge them to become the thing that they are. Amen? Now, when I say that, uh, you might hear, if you're like me and have like an anti-religious trigger, you might hear performance. And it's funny because Paul's rebuking the very mindset of performance he's equating it back to slavery he's actually saying it's the thing that puts you back into bondage so when paul challenges us to become the thing that we already are he's not talking about performance at all and so it's a weird thing right see our dilemma is sometimes this how do we abandon being under quote, law, but without losing the conviction of becoming. Does that make sense this morning? And I'm going to talk about this more later, but sometimes we, man, I, my early years, I got so just like, I was so zealous for the Lord and kind of extreme. And then, um, I got free from quote religion, you know, the trendy thing. Um, but it, it put me in a different space because I didn't know how to not do religion without throwing away the process of becoming. And can I tell you what the, what an underage heir looks like? It's the one who's always talking about their identity, but never becoming it. And I don't mean that in a shameful way this morning. I'm just saying we're called to become the thing that we are not just be the thing that we are. Does that make sense? And this is kind of what Paul is addressing. And he says it all the time. This is who you guys are. Now, I want to recap something really quick before we go on. Um, Again, if you've got nothing else so far, Michael Jordan's the goat. So don't forget that. Write it down. Proverbs 19, 12, Michael Jordan's the goat. When I think of um, the Israelites, I taught on this a few months back, I think, but the concept of grace. 
the Israelites are delivered from slavery. Um, now keep in mind, uh, some of these people grew up in slavery. They didn't know anything uh, that preceded slavery. This is the world that they know. And God delivers them. And they're out. And they're wandering. And they're on a journey to there. They don't even know what there is, but God's in control of it. And they trust him enough to kind of go on uh, the journey. And here was the tension. They get out and they don't know how to be free. Right? And God's providing. He's faithful. But they come to an impossible scenario where Pharaoh's now turned his heart. He's chasing them. And they come to the Red Sea and it's impossible to cross, which means we're about to go back into slavery. Until God shows up, performs a miracle, he parts the water and he creates this beautiful passage from point A. Everybody say A. To point B. Everybody say B. They're at point A. God's opened up the water. Pharaoh's coming. And now they have safe passage to the other side. This is to me what the grace of God is for. See, the grace of God is not for me just to have an identity but never walk in it. The grace of God is for me to go from not walking in it to walking and becoming the thing that he says that I am. It gives me safe passage to go from point A to point B. The worst thing we can do, and I've done it, is camp at point A under the excuse of how good his grace is. Now, here's what I want to say, because uh, I, I used this term last week. You are so safe to do that. This is the weird part uh, of so much of the gospel. You are absolutely safe under the grace of God to sit here, not change anything, and you can still go there someday. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and you can, see, you can see it, man. God's grace like, is just opened up. And we can write songs about it and be like, man, it's just awesome. And just sit here. But that wasn't the point of his grace. That wasn't the point of him making a way. The point of him making a way is so that I don't have to sit here. And I can become the thing. That he says that I am. If I'm a son or a daughter, it means that I'm maturing and becoming the thing that I am. Can I give you an example? Jesus is baptized in the river. Uh, he comes up out of the water and a voice falls and says, this is my what? This is my son. This announcement uh, of sonship was over his life. And from that point on, something different was resting on his life. Jesus immediately leaves this place, no longer just a son, but a son who has now become an heir. His time had come to not just own the estate someday, but the estate now rested on him. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, he's walking on waves. This is what it looks like to belong to an inheritance that is not just of this world, but of the kingdom of God. And he's walking in it. Something shifted. Because inheritance wasn't about what I go to someday. It's about what's resting on me now. Amen? Now Jesus could have stayed on this side and never walked in that measure. But Jesus knew why he came. We have to know why we are redeemed. Amen? And again, 
you are so safe to stay right here and never go from point A to point B. But the grace of God is there for us to go from point A um, to point B. In fact, maturity um, is not when I'm just great at Christian. You, you can be really good at Christian stuff and be right here. Right? But maturity is when right here catches up to who I am over there. This is what the gospel is. Paul saying, hey, you've been redeemed. You're the children of God. This is what it's like. This is what you own. This is what it means. You are the righteousness of Christ. In fact, you're so safe. This whole thing is fixed. It's totally fixed. I mean, if any man be in Christ, he is new. Now, he's saying this to people who have problems. He's saying this to people who aren't perfect. He's saying this to people who are standing on this side who haven't crossed over yet in how they are. Who they are was transitioned in Jesus because he bought it, took it to the courthouse, and adopted us. But how they are has not made the shift. And so he's announcing, hey, this is how, uh, who you are. It's amazing. But how they are hadn't caught up. Spiritual maturity is not getting good at Christian stuff. Spiritual maturity is when how I am catches up to who I really am. When how I am becomes who I am. Amen? So how do we identify? And these are the ones I need to be careful with this morning. How do we identify uh, when we're living as slaves. And again, to be clear, you're not a slave this morning. You are a son. That's why we have to have these conversations. But how do we identify when we're living life as slaves? And there's probably 50 of these. I just picked a few out that came to mind. Here's one. And I'm going to say these. Please hear my heart this morning. This was with all grace and love and um, all the good Jesus feels. But Number one is you're free, but you're not free. Uh, let's make it really simple. Sin. You're free from the penalty of it, but you're not necessarily free from the patterns of it. Does that make sense? Now, does that mean that you're not a child of God? No, not at all. It means that you're a child of God living and bondage to something else. Amen? Now, let me again be clear. Is there grace for you to live in sin? This is, <laughs> please don't leave here today and be like, that pastor says I could do whatever I want, and there's no penalty. Um, you, you are 100% free to live and not be changed and still fully be the son or the daughter of God. That's what makes this thing so bizarre. But can I tell you that you might not really know who you are as a son or a daughter if you're content to stay there. Because if you're free, but you're not really free, if you're free and you say, man, God has redeemed me and this is what the cross paid for and I know all this stuff and you're looking across that safe passage of grace saying, hey, hey, this is who I am and you're telling everybody else, hey, this is who I am. But your pattern, 
pattern and your rhythm is still that of slavery. See, this was the challenge of the Israelites. They got out positionally, but their patterns were still in Egypt. They didn't know how to do freedom, so they were free, but they weren't really free. Right? Their thinking hadn't caught up to their new freedom. Uh, Their rhythms hadn't adjusted yet. They hadn't become the thing that they are. They hadn't entered into this beautiful space. So they were free, but they weren't really, you know, free. One of the ways that we know we're functioning, not in sonship, but with a mindset of slavery, is that we're free, but we're not really free. It means this, it means an underage heir. I don't know how to say this, but an underage heir is one who is a son at point B, but they're still living at point A. Does that make sense this morning? And here's the challenge with an underage heir. They can't access the inheritance. And I don't, I, I'm very cautious with this language because I don't want to box you out of something. Um, but... Scripture is still pretty clear, right? There's certain benefits that come based on how we live and where we live. Here, let me make it so practical that you can't argue with it. If I eat uh, little Debbie's all day, every day, everybody know what a little Debbie is? Gosh, she's just one of the best prophetesses of our time. Um, but if I eat them all day, every day, there is a certain outcome. That I will reap. And it's not an issue of heaven or hell, of sin or death. It is not an issue of whether or not I'm a child of God. But it is an issue, right? Now, I can eat little Debbie's all day, every day. This is such a bad example. I I can eat little Debbie's all day, every day, and die and go to heaven as a big Deborah. That's exactly what I will end up doing. Um. But there's an outcome. You understand that most of the things that we navigate and condemn people for in the church, man, they're just not even heaven hell issues. <laughs> Inheritance actually wasn't as much about heaven and hell as we thought that it was. If the kingdom's coming on earth as in heaven, it wasn't really so much about you going there as much as it was about it coming here. Right? So you can be free and not be free and reap the patterns of your life, still totally be a son or a daughter, but not fully become the thing that you actually are. You can be a son living as a slave. Amen? Here's another one. When we embrace brokenness because we're safe, when we embrace our brokenness because we're safe. I think this is what, you know, it's hard for me at certain seasons of my walk was having just a revelation of God's goodness and grace and knowing that, hey, I'm a child of God no matter what because it wasn't based on me, it was based on Him. And then in the tension of not wanting to be stuck in performance, almost overcorrect to this place, where embracing brokenness meant magnifying his grace. 
Almost like I had to prove something, probably not to anyone else, but maybe myself to say that God really is that good. That's why I can stay right here unchanged and actually embrace the pattern that I'm in because his grace is sufficient. Now, Paul writes about this. He says it in Romans 6, 1, 2, because this is, again, what the early church is struggling with. We're free. We're in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under the law. We can kind of do whatever we want to do, which is true. But he says this in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died sin. So again, he's talking to someone who's struggling with the tension of how these things work. What can we do, not do? And it's really not so much about what you do or don't do. It's about who you are and are you becoming the thing that you are? And here's what he's saying. We have died to sin. He gives them a positional statement. Here's point B, guys. This is who you are. You can stay in the patterns over here of sin if you want. You, you, you can just keep doing this and talk about how good God's grace is. But Paul's pressing them to become the thing that you are. Don't just settle on this side and never access the inheritance. Learn to walk in what he paid for. Because it's not just for you, it's for the world around you. Amen? We don't continue in the pattern so that we prove that his grace works. If you want to prove how powerful the grace of God is, walk through the parted water. Mm. Here's what bad self-grace does is it leaves you on the shore. And here's what that means. If I don't move from this place, it's only a matter of time before Pharaoh catches up. And as a son, I'm living right back in the same bondage that he delivered me from. I'm free, but I'm not free. Again, die, go to heaven, all that stuff. That's, that's so great about the gospel. But there's this call to become the thing that we are. A couple more. Three more. We're living with the mindset of a slave instead of a son. When uh, Jesus helped me articulate some of these. Please hear my heart this morning. When I conclude that my struggle is how God made me. <laughs> uh, now, I don't know what your struggle could have been or maybe this morning. So it's a moving target. Um, but when I conclude that my pattern of brokenness is just the way that he made me it means that I'm settling for something less than my inheritance because here's the truth no he didn't make you after a pattern of brokenness see I think sometimes in our, our, our bad theology we have this idea that all men are just born of the curse but the truth is there was blessing before there was curse he made mankind in his image and his likeness. He gave them identity and he gave them nature. When mankind fell, the identity never shifted, but the nature did. Who they were never changed, but how they were was the thing that got out of position, right? Wow. 
And when he made that man in that garden, in that creation, he blessed them. Let me tell you this. That's how he made you. (laughs) We put more hope in how we think Adam recreated us than the original intent of the father who created and blessed us. And so what we do is we fixate on our brokenness and we embrace it as some badge of honor to say, man, God just made me this way. Then here's what we do, man, he's going to use it. But don't let yourself settle just because all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord doesn't mean that you should embrace and settle for all things. Just because God will use it doesn't mean that you should abuse it. Right? That was like a preacher snippet there. I, I'm not going to stay here under the excuse that, man, this is just how God made me. No, he didn't. He made you to look like him. Amen. Image and likeness. Mm. Let me read a couple more. Uh, let me also say this before I, I give another one. The next one's a little more tricky. Um, there has to be in us a discomfort to settle for less than who we are. Than the intent of the Father. In fact, can I tell you this? Real revival is not great church. Real revival is a restored intent of the Father for humanity. Because redemption is about redeeming the thing that was lost, right? Well, what was lost? Sons and daughters. Yeah, He came to seek and save that which was lost. Not just a quantity of people, but the context in which people were created to live in. So when we reduce our identity to just, hey man, this is just how God made me. Man, that's the perfect time to really go to the Father and say, well, hold on a second. How did you make me? You didn't make me to like sit here and just be pummeled. Now, again... Don't take this into some weird zone. I'm not saying everything's going to be peachy. We're not going to have challenges. I'm not saying you're not going to have days you're going to be depressed. You're going to walk through stuff. What I'm telling you is there is a constant hope and anchor that we are always called to so that we never settle in those seasons and mistake those seasons and those moments for who we are. They might be how we are, but they will never be who we are because who we are was based on the definition and the creative hand of God who made mankind to bear his image and his likeness. And he blessed that. And then he comes later in Jesus and redeems that. He positions us and says, hey, here's who you are. Now become the thing that you are. Let your likeness catch up. Michael Jordan, I don't know why I keep going back to Michael Jordan. I know nothing about him. He to go. Um, but he didn't always look like the Michael Jordan we knew. It was always in him. But he had to intentionally practice some things to let what was always in him emerge and become the thing that we know as Michael Jordan. Right? Guys, this is what we're called to. We are sons and daughters, but we intentionally have to do some practical things uh, to see ourselves become that. Uh, two more and I'm done. I know it's 12.07, but who cares, right? This is the one I'm, I'm going to stay out of the weeds on because I am not a counselor, but I'm going to give them some work. 
here's how you know you're fun. And man, I'm so, there's, again, hear my heart, grace here. Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm functioning more from a slave mentality than I am a son mentality. And this is a metric that, that man, it, it's for me if no one else. But when my emotional health mimics the fruit of the flesh more than the fruit of the spirit. There's a metric. I'm going to read this really, really quickly. And just, just think about your, your mindset. Um, Galatians 5, 19 through 23. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. The toddler in me does not like that one. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what he's saying is not, if you've got an issue in this list that you can't go... That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you can't go to heaven because you had a fit of rage. (laughs) Again, because inheritance isn't just about you going somewhere. What he's saying is it's not necessarily going to rest on you when you're stuck in this pattern. Does that make sense this morning? It's not an issue of you getting there. It's an issue of it coming here. And he's not condemning you for this. He's actually giving you a metric. Saying, hey, here's how I gauge how I'm doing. Let me see how my own emotional health is. Is my mind in this level of fruit? Or is it, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Again, it doesn't mean you won't inherit the kingdom. It just means that the kingdom might not come to you today. It's, it's going to be hard to carry the kingdom when you're driving through rush hour traffic, flipping people off, Right? Can you flip people off and go to heaven? Yes. <laughs> right? Yes, you can. You can flip them all the way to the pearly gates. Um, does it mean that heaven's going to be on you while you're here? Probably not. <sighs> this is, we just get in the weeds so quickly with some of this stuff and I'm Try to be careful. But if my emotional health mimics the fruit of the flesh more than the spirit, it's a pretty good gauge to say, whoa, I need to become who I actually am. And if you're like me, you, you ping pong between some of these, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. All right, one more. Here's how you know you're living as a slave Instead of operating as a son. When you're living in reaction. One of the best ways to stay in bondage is to live in overreaction to the thing that you were in bondage to. Uh, A good example would be when we overcorrect from performance religion and we become just anti-religion. What happens nine times out of ten is we form a new religion. We just call it something other than religion. Right, What we're saying is your way is wrong, my way is better, and it's got to be my way. Ding dong religion. Ding dong performance. Because what you're saying is if it doesn't happen this way, it's not going to happen. 
And when we live in overreaction to the thing that God brought us out of, what we do is subconsciously, without turning and really walking in what freedom looks like and becoming the thing that he freed us to be, we actually build a new version under a different brand name. And we go right back into bondage with a different master. Man, reactionary stuff. And again, it might not be religion. It could be that you just came out of something that God's trying to heal you from. And as much grace as there is to have a process in a space of healing, it's still important that we heal. Because if you don't heal an open wound, man, you'll suffer the rest of your life if you can't forgive someone. If you hold on to bitterness, you're going to suffer and be miserable. Amen. But when we live in reaction, it's one of the quickest ways to find ourselves back in bondage, living as a slave. This is the thing that I see, and I want to pray for us, but Adam falls and he starts to live in reaction. And it's because of shame, his paradigm has just shifted. And all of a sudden, he no longer felt safe in the presence of God. What should have been the most safe place ever is now the place he doesn't feel safe in. And can I tell you this? In the church, people should come to a church and feel more safe in this environment than anywhere else on the planet. Safe doesn't mean um, that we're not going to champion one another to overcome the patterns that wreck our lives. But it does mean that there doesn't have to be judgment and condemnation. It means that we're giving safe passage to go from point A to point B. Adam falls and all of a sudden he no longer feels safe and he hides from God because of shame. Here's again how beautifully woven and how fixed this whole gospel thing is. Jesus comes, buys the slave, adopts him. And then hides us all in himself. (laughs) So that even if you wanted to hide from God, you're hiding in him from himself somewhere. Which makes no sense. We have the most beautiful, safe passage to leave the patterns that wreck us and become the thing that we've been redeemed to be. But what a tragedy to stay at point A and never let it look like who I really am at point B. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us. Father, we know your word says that it's for freedom's sake that you set us free. And God, the truth is we just don't know how to do freedom sometimes. Because it is a scandalous thing. But God, I pray that in our overreaction to performance that we don't cease the process of becoming. God, that in an overreaction to, quote, religion, may we not sacrifice the call to still become 
sons and daughters who walk in an inheritance. And Father, I pray for grace this morning for um, every story. God, maybe some that we embrace and some that we don't. Maybe it's patterns that sometimes we need to leave. And it seems so elementary in Christian church language, but it's still so true. That if our pattern is you and what belongs to you is ours, God, I don't want to settle for less than what you've designed for me to have. So give us grace, Father. And God, put that discomfort in our spirit that just refuses to settle for less, that refuses to stay on the shore when a passage is open. And last, I want to pray um, this morning, God, over anyone here, Father. God, we always ask for the supernatural thing that you do, just to rewire and reprogram the way that we think. But God, I, I specifically ask for the practical things in our life would be highlighted that we can see the patterns that wreck us that you're calling us out of. And we thank you for your grace to take the journey. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.